Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news primarily from the United States, but also from Brazil. I also want to note that I'm recording this one a little bit early. I'm recording it Wednesday morning, like super early. So if I missed any fascism that happened during the day on Wednesday, don't worry, I will get back to it next week. Starting off this week in the United States, Andrew Tate, well, also in Romania, Andrew Tate has been arrested for sex trafficking. Andrew Tate is a former kickboxer who became an internet celebrity. He is an open misogynist, quote-unquote, influencer, extremely active on a lot of social media platforms, although often also eliminated from those platforms because of his misogyny and his advocation for sexual violence. He would openly describe his hatred for women. He claimed that he moved to Romania because their sexual assault laws were a lot more lax than they are in the United States and the United Kingdom, where he holds dual citizenship. Tate is extremely unpopular online among the youths, uh, and especially for young men. Uh, he is popular for his quote-unquote, tell-it-like-it-is kind of terrible person persona. You know, he's the kind of guy who would like have a video of him smoking a big cigar, yelling at people about how they're not living a traditional life anymore, that kind of crap. He also recently got in an internet feud with Greta Thunberg, the famous Scandinavian youthful climate activist person. Uh, he was arrested on December the 29th with his brother in Romania for sex trafficking because it turned out that he was there in order to, you know, sex traffic people, uh, which is kind of exactly what he told us he was there to do. Pretty awful. Moving on to Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu has become the prime minister of Israel for the sixth time, I believe. His coalition government is the most right-wing in the country's history and it is likely to challenge judicial independence, queer rights, the rights of Palestinian people, etc. The government is comprised of Netanyahu's Likud party, a center-right-ish party, like more like center-ish right-wing party. Likud, like many other center-right parties, has been moving farther and farther or further and further right over the last several decades. Uh, the other coalition partners with Likud are the Otzma Yehudut, uh, which is a party that I've talked about previously, um, they also are joined by several extremely conservative religious parties, uh, specifically conservative religious Jewish parties. This new coalition has pledged to increase settlement on the West Bank. They have also specifically pledged to allow, to allow discrimination against women, non-Jewish people, and queer people, quote, for reasons of religious belief. This is an extremely right-wing perspective for a government that is, you know, supposed to be the you know, you know, they call themselves the only democracy in the Middle East. Uh, this is pretty awful, and we can only guess at what exactly this is going to mean for politics in the Middle East and also for Israel's relationship with the United States and Europe. Moving on to the United States, the vice chair of the Florida GOP has been telling people on Twitter openly to bring AR-15s to drag shows. Uh, this is uh, blatantly a state representative, you know, uh, somebody working with the Republican Party in the state of Florida, calling for violence, calling for anti-queer violence at a peaceful event. Uh, this is pretty disgusting, pretty disturbing, but it is exactly what we need to be expecting from the Republican Party today. Moving on to Brazil, Lula has taken office. Uh, he took office on January the 1st, that's Inauguration Day in Brazil. 
and his opponent, Bolsonaro, has fled for the United States, exactly as I told you he would last week. He arrived in Miami and then has been spending a lot of time in sunny Orlando, Florida. He escaped to Florida in order to spend time with a lot of Bolsonaro supporters, uh, a lot of whom live in Florida. They don't live in Brazil. Uh, they live in Florida. Um, he has been filmed lonely eating KFC, uh, which is just fucking wonderful. It's just so good. Like a picture of this sad former president sitting alone at a fast food restaurant in the United States eating KFC on New Year's Day. Oh, we love to see it. It's wonderful. On a much more serious note, Bolsonaro has also been formally, uh, had, had charges formally filed against him for his actions on September the 7th of 2021. This was essentially Bolsonaro's version of January 6th. It was an attempted coup on Brazil's Independence Day, which is on September the 7th. Uh, Bolsonaro got his supporters to storm the Brazilian equivalent of the Supreme Court on this day in an attempt to try to change election laws and make sure that he and his supporters would be victorious, that they would actually you know, be able to win the election that Bolsonaro did in fact lose. Now, Bolsonaro was exempt from any possible prosecution for this while he was in office. Now that he is no longer in office, he is liable to be prosecuted for this and uh, a bevy of other things that he did while president and also while member of Congress that are illegal in Brazil. This means that Bolsonaro is going to need to stay out of Brazil if he wants to avoid like going to trial or even to prison. However, like I, he can't stay out of Brazil forever. Like he lives there, his money and his house and stuff are there. I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, like is he going to try to go stay in a place that doesn't have extradition with Brazil? That would be pretty crazy, but possible. And if he does something like that, then he could conceivably be, you know, he could conceivably get gotten by like, you know, the International Criminal Court. There are all sorts of crazy possibilities now with Bolsonaro and his like flight from justice, his flight from Brazilian justice. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty bizarre at this point. The United States House of Representatives has had an implosion as the Republicans try to take over the House of Representatives, but stumble on the first step. Now, the first step when a new party takes office in the United States House of Representatives is that they nominate a Speaker of the House. If you're unfamiliar with how the United States legislature works, the Speaker of the House is essentially the leader of the United States House of Representatives, something like a prime minister in a, you know, unicameral parliamentary legislature, except, of course, that the United States has two chambers of its legislative body and also a president. But the point is that the Speaker of the House sort of sets the agenda, sets the tone, is the leader of the United States House of Representatives. Now, the Republicans took office this week. The new people in the Republican delegation, the new people in the Democratic delegation, they were all sworn in. Everybody gets, you know, their like new member of Congress orientation. You know, the, you get all these like silly pictures of them all with little backpacks and like you know, intro packets and things. And the first big piece of business is to nominate the Speaker of the House. For the last 100 years, this has been a cakewalk. It's been something that has been decided probably in the last year, uh, at least months before the new Speaker would ever take office. This time was different. 
This time, for the first time in 100 years, the Republicans' nominee for the Speaker of the House failed. Failed on the first ballot. Again, this has not happened since the 1920s. This is a perfect example of the tumultuous realignment that is happening within the Republican Party right now. So for the first time in 100 years, the party hasn't had a speaker ready to be installed day one. That means that Congress, the United States House of Representatives, is currently without a leader, meaning that it currently can't legislate at all. The rules of the United States Congress are such that like, basically nothing can happen until this starts. It's going to be happening on Wednesday, the day that I'm recording this. So, you know, that news might be pouring in before you've gotten, like, you know, before you've heard this podcast on Thursday. But the point is that the fact that the Republicans were unable to choose a leader right away is an indicator of their serious internal problems. Now, the person that most of the people in the party voted for is a guy named Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy is an establishment-ish, but also Trump-aligned person. He was going to be the leader of the party in the House of Representatives, but about 20 other people, uh, 20 other Republicans, voted against him. They voted for a series of other people, but finally on the third ballot on Tuesday, they landed on a guy named Jim Jordan, uh, who is an extremely right-wing member of Congress and also a staunch Trump ally, although he himself was voting for Kevin McCarthy. He wasn't voting for himself to be the leader of the House of Representatives. Now, almost all of these dissenters are Trump allies. Almost all of them have been endorsed by Trump. Most of them voted against the Biden inauguration, which not even most Republicans did. And most of them are in the so-called Freedom Caucus. The Freedom Caucus is the extreme right-wing branch of the Republican Party, uh, in Congress especially. These are the, you know, like ultra-MAGA people. These people are essentially white nationalist parafascists, and they are the ones who don't want Kevin McCarthy to be the leader of the House. Matt Gates, one of the leaders of this Freedom Caucus, and somebody who, I'm sorry to tell you, will probably be involved in the United States politics for an extremely long time as a representative of the extreme right wing. Uh, these people have said that Kevin McCarthy is the chief alligator in the swamp, and that that's why they don't want him to be the leader of the House of Representatives. By this, they mean they think that he is too establishment. They don't think that he's right-wing enough. They don't think that he's extremist enough. And that is what they really want. They want somebody who's a nationalist like them running the House of Representatives. Now, currently, there's only 20 of these guys, so they can't take over the Republican Party in the House of Representatives. However, they are the rising branch of the party. These people are the rising faction. And currently, they're using their power in order to limit the power of the opposing, more centrist, moderate coalition in the Republican Party. Although, remember that the moderates in the Republican Party are much more right-wing than the Republicans were even 20 years ago, and especially like 30 or 40 years ago. Finally, moving on to news in Washington. Two have been charged with attacks on power grids in Washington. Uh, that is Washington State. These people are Matt Greenwood and Jeremy Crayon. They both could be imprisoned for up to 30 years. They used weapons and tools to cut power to thousands of people in Washington state. They say that this uh, was done in order to stage robbery. However, these tactics and processes are extremely common among members of the extreme right wing. And I think we're going to be seeing more and more information about these people and their political affiliation as time goes on. 
it's also likely that the people, you know, like whether or not these people were right-wing affiliated themselves, people using these tactics are often right-wing and are using it in order to promote political dissent, in order to create chaos, which they think they will be able to rise from, you know, Phoenix-like, and take over the country. So uh, this is more evidence that the right-wing is continuing to actively assault the United States' infrastructure and people's general safety. Finally, going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, which is usually a segment celebrating the deaths of a prominent right-wing figure in history. However, this week I felt I was obligated to remind you that tomorrow, that is January 6th, is the second anniversary of the attack on the Capitol building. That is Donald Trump's attempted coup to try to stay president after he lost his presidential race to Joe Biden in 2020. As a reminder, the January 6th special committee is now over, now that the Republicans have taken charge. And this means that they have canceled all the subpoenas that they issued for Donald Trump and others. This means that these people are unlikely to be answering for their crimes, at least for the next two years. The only way that this could really change is, A, if the Department of Justice really gets its butt in gear and, like, issues its own subpoenas and, you know, kind of like they would have to give charges to Trump and other people for trying to stage this coup. I frankly don't know if that is going to happen. I don't know if the United States Congress or if the United States government is going to really be able and willing to do this kind of thing, if they're going to like actually engage in this kind of political activity. We also know now that the Republicans, after taking office in the House of Representatives, have removed all of the metal detectors from the House of Representatives. Why they would do that, I can't possibly tell you. Like, I can't think of a good reason for them to be doing that. They have also prevented all leaders of Capitol Hill tours from mentioning January 6th unless they are specifically asked by, a, by an attendee of the tour. So they're literally trying to erase the history of January 6th, and they are trying to, they're currently doing things that would make it easier to achieve by eliminating those metal detectors. So uh, I don't really have anybody's death to celebrate this week. This is a little bit more of a somber note to begin the year on, but you know, you're listening to a podcast called 15 Minutes of Fascism. What, what did you expect? All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. You can also check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word, if you want to thank me for the work that I've been doing. You can thank me verbally and also give me tips and suggestions and you know things like that on 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. Again, that's spelled out on all one word. I'm also on Twitter at Hist of the Right, that's H-I-S-T of the Right, and Fascism15. All right, thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week.